across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, food and drink in and around Cambridge, presented by Alan Alder, Sue Bailey and myself, Matt Bentman. And on today's programme, we're staying out for the summer with Finboy's new deli counter, get barbecue advice from experienced professionals, as well as unusual cuts of beef and pork to go on your grill. We visit a new-ish cafe on Mill Road that's taken over the old Tom's Cakes site. Revisit Hawthorne Farm near Cottenham and get Mike Malloy's opinion, Mike's the man from Malloy's Craft Butchery, of the hospitality crisis. And we'll have the latest food news and jobs too. So let's begin. Finboys in Mill Road have restarted their deli counter and brought in some other new features too. Alan asked Richard Stokes what sort of goodies they have on their deli shelf for taking home. Yes, we've got our Fin Vinaigrette, which we serve always with our oysters, which has obviously proved really, really popular. Ponzu sauce, exo sauce, which is really amazing, great with all barbecued uh, seafoods as well. We've um, got in there today some, some red mole that Jay made yesterday. Black butter, which is one of our favourites and a customer's favourites. Well, I, I actually, I, I, I had some of, I bought some of the black butter from you last week, and it is astonishingly good. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, we've been serving just with our sourdough bread at, with anchovies, um, but also on our scallop dish. It's just um, we make a hazelnut butter, and and then add to it, re-emulsify it again over over ice with uh, soy, uh, black garlic, uh, squid, uh, ink, and um, sherry vinegar. And um, yeah, it's been really, really popular. I say, awesome with the, the, the scallops we've been doing, been spraying the shells black as well and then serving them as an all-black dish. <laughs> yeah, well, that was one of the things about it. I had it with sea bass, actually, and just the contrast between the colour of the, sea, the flesh of the sea bass yeah. and the black butter, just, I don't know, it's just dramatic on the plate. It does look good, yes, yeah. it does look good. Yeah, we served this weekend, actually, with, with monkfish. Obviously, again, so you had the same effect oh, with yeah, the white and black. Good, yeah, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, and it doesn't and it doesn't overpower the the flavour of the fish either, which surprised no, me. It was that's a nice acidity. The sherry vinegar brings acidity. Then you've got the black garlic and and the squidding, which brings some umami sort of flavours, with, with along with the with the um, soy. So now it works really really well with fish. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Right, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. And what, what else is on the, the deli counter these days? Well, fish ragouts uh, uh, as well, um, and also fish soup, whatever we choose to make. Uh, last week we had uh, some uh, lobster tom yum, and the amount of lobster we sold this week, we might have something similar again this week, actually. Um, and then we've also started our grab-and-go as well. Um, we, we haven't had featured the, the grab-and-go uh, since really September time, because obviously it's all cold food, and obviously not a great deal call for it sort of in, in the winter months so we just started the grab and go as well each day we'll do a different dish so last week we had a, a day with um, Portland crab sandwiches um, which on brioche brioche loaf which is really lovely um, I had fish sausage roll with gentleman's reddish 
black and blue tuna, so wrapped in nori and served with pickled ginger and ponzu sauce. And nor- nori is uh, seaweed. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about the ponzu sauce, because you mentioned it before. Yeah, ponzu is a classic Japanese sauce um, made with um, soy and, and, and mirin and citrus of some sort. Uh, obviously in Japan they use yuzu a great deal. Depending on the season, we use blood orange, or at the moment we've got some lovely Amalfi lemons, so we're using those. And, and then kombu seaweed and bonito flakes uh, and take it off the boil and just let it sit for a day uh, before straining and it's just delicious, yeah. And, and what else is in the, uh, the grub and go? Oh, we, can ch- we change them daily. Uh, last week we also had some uh, crayfish with romaine lettuce, good old fashioned green goddess dressing with furikake, which was sold really well. Um, so we're just gonna change it up each day really. Right, so there's no shortage of... I know there's no shortage no. of ideas. Well, we do a, do a menu uh, uh, on Monday uh, on Instagram. It will say what, we're, what the grab-and-go dishes of each day. Um, like Saturday, I think we had smoked salmon with bagels, cream cheese. So, yeah, we'll just change it up each week, really. Yeah. One of the things that I've really enjoyed but not seen for a while at Finboys is um, fish sausages. Yeah, now, a few people have been asking. Well, to be honest, we, we only make them, obviously, when we, we have enough especially bellies, you know, fish bellies, so something nice and fatty, um, which we keep it and then put them in the freezer. And when we get enough, we make a batch of the fish sausages. But there's always bits and pieces that we can use up. You know, we make lots of different stocks and sauces and, and soups, which obviously take lots of bones and lots of, 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 of scrapped fish, so, so to speak. And also you can use them up in pasta dishes, pasta sauces, um, risottos. So we're probably nearing the time when we should make uh, sausages again, probably later this week or early next week. And we'll have enough to make a, a, a whole batch of sausages um, for the barbecue season, yeah. <laughs> right, that would be very good. I, I've also seen people eating out on a Friday and Saturday night, but not eating the, 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 the tasting menu. What's that yeah. all about? Well, we just started, um, again, because the weather's getting nicer, our curbside menu, which we did run last summer. On the Friday and Saturday, we do the 10-course tasting. Um, but to go alongside that, if people want to sit outside, we don't offer the 10 course tasting outside, so we just offer a simpler menu of tin fish and shellfish and, and oysters and, and shellfish platters, you know, simple crab dishes. Uh, and we've also got a little Japanese yakitori grill we purchased as well, chrono grill. So we're doing some uh, hot dishes as well, you know, whether it's barbecued prawns with togarashi mayonnaise. Um, uh, also, the weekend we had a whole butterfly mackerel with uh, exo sauce. So there'll be you know, a couple of hot dishes on there as well, just for people who want to sit outside and sit in the window yeah. on a Friday and Saturday. Uh, and that's um, not bookable at first-come, first-served basis. So, um, yeah, just add, add to what we, we do on our Fridays and Saturdays, really. Yeah, that was Richard Stokes of the excellent Finn Boys in Mill Road. One of the great things about Finn Boys is how passionate, and overused were, but passionate they are about what they produce. And I'm not surprised. I've had a few of their deli items like tarama salata, kepapate, mole rojo, and they're just all fantastic, so I'd recommend them very strongly. And, and talking highly of things, or of recommending things, the Kingston Arms in Kingston Street. Matt, you did a piece about the Kingston Arms quite a few years ago. Yeah, January 2015, I remember it well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's changed markedly since then because it's been, I don't know if you know, but it's been taken over by somebody from Tel Aviv mm. who owns a big and successful restaurant in Tel Aviv. And he's taken it over. His wife's moved to Cambridge to do something at the university, so he's moved here for a while. And it is... The food is just stunningly good. Have you tried it, Sue? No, not recently. 
I haven't. Right. Well, it's Middle wow. Eastern food, as you'd expect, but of such quality Ooh. and also extra- extraordinarily reasonably priced and a really nice atmosphere. They've opened up the courtyard. Oh, wow. Oh, they, yes, that's it's lovely a, It's courtyard. like a hidden gem, really. It's just fantastic. Oh, thank you for so the recommendation. I would recommend that. Good, good. <laughs> I'll be going. <laughs> well, we're definitely into the barbecue season, the time of year where those who can do and those who can't burn, undercook or nuke their food. Yes, well, I'm in the I'm in the can't category. So I asked Vladimir Hromek, formerly of Smokeworks, about how to do it, beginning with getting the temperature right. The heat on the barbecue, a lot of people are tempted to make it really, really hot. But what you want to go is medium, medium, low to medium heat. So if you, if you think about your burner in a kitchen, you want it to have it, and your settings is one to six, you want it to have it about two to three. Now, there is advice on gauging the temperature of your barbecue. Uh, If you hold your hand about 12 and a half centimetres above it and you can hold your hand there for only one to two seconds, then those coals are hot. Three to four seconds, medium hot. So you ought to aim for round about, say, four seconds. Or you could get a temperature probe. You can always get yourself a little probe. I mean, dig the probe in it, 75 or above. And, uh, and, and, and you know precisely whatever they cooked or not. Yeah. But what is essential is good charcoal. And Vlad here explains the problem with cheap charcoal. In the restaurants, we generally use uh, big, big K brand chunks or briquettes. Um, our main, main reason for that is um, it gives you a long lasting heat. Um, so, what often happens is that we try to barbecue on, on, on the coal too early uh, because we worry that all that heat will be gone. Now, what, we, what, what you should really do is wait till, the, till the, all the coal turns silver, almost ashy colour, um, and, and then start putting your sausages or your chickens or whatever you're barbecuing on. Now, the, the, the cheap and cheerful um, a coal will give you the burst of the heat, but actually, after that, there is not much heat left. Now that's why you end up with, with, with charred or burnt uh, things because that's not a time you should be barbecuing. You should wait till that first phase is gone and there should be enough heat left within that sort of coal to start cooking on it. The, the newest trend is now the coconut husks because it gives you really long lasting heat. But the first problem with charcoal is lighting it. The way how we do it in a restaurant, we would use a just a restaurant grade, a kitchen grade gas blowtorch, and you hold it 30, 40 centimeters from the coal, um, and, you, and you get them lit. You know, it takes about a minute, minute and a half. You go around, you, you build up a pyramid from the coal, um, and then obviously you light the bottom, which then eventually will light it. Now at home, I would probably recommend using fire lighters, getting them to the um, a bottom, so as you build up a pyramid, so you do like a circle, and then and then you put your fire starters around on the top of it and then you put the rest of the pyramid on top so they kind of embedded in there right. and then you start them off and 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 i mean uh, the, the the biggest problem with the starting the fire is, is that people poke it too much <laughs> you should you should start it and let it be let it do its own thing the, the more you poke it the worse it gets <laughs> okay so you've got your coals lit but where do you put them the ones they sort of white and once they turn into sort of ash color coals you spread it around um, at, at that part those two thirds and you leave the last third of the barbecue for for your resting your resting uh, ingredient space so, so those two thirds is your direct grilling area that's so that's where you put your sausages your chickens that's where you you get them direct above the heat that's where you get your color that's where you get your char on them um, and then once you 
you're happy with that, the way how it looks, the way how it you know, feels, then you put it for at least five to 10 minutes into that area, which we call the indirect grilling. So that's like your resting area to cook them through. Now in that point, I would put a lid on it, just leave them there sit, just to cook through. Right, and, and you leave them alone. You don't leave them alone, yeah, don't touch them. <laughs> this, the resting, what's the purpose of that? Is it to get the insides properly cooked? Yes, I mean, obviously direct grilling is quite, it can be quite aggressive if you, if you, on occasions if you get your um, a temperature too high, um, it might be looked like it's cooked from the outside, but actually inside it might be still not cooked through. So that is to ensure that everything is cooked through. So you you know you do your chicken breast ten minutes on each side, or what? It, it really depends on how hot you made your barbecue. But then you leave it sitting in that area to ensure that it cooked through, and as well the the fibers within the meat will relax, so it will result in a juicier and more tender um, right. product. Okay. When we think of barbecues. I think most of us think of meat. There are alternatives, as Vlad explains. Things like a corn in a husk, it's really delicious. Uh, things like butternut squash. It can really, if you, if you just slice it into the chunks, um, you don't even need to peel it off because the peel will come at the end. Just grill it from the both sides till it's tender. You know, obvious things like courgettes, onions inside of the skins. You can do whole cauliflowers. I just need to keep basting them with the butter or, or some sort of sort of a base so you, that would be your indirect grilling again you can do the whole cauliflower you can cut cauliflower into a steaks if you leave the stalks on and just direct grill that um, beetroots are great you know just rub them into a foil or not even that just rub them in a little bit of a salt and olive oil and leave them there on the grill and then you just peel the skin off so that, that really there, there is a lot of possibilities and barbecues are not just the preserve of males what, what have you got on your barbecue? Indian style uh, chicken skewers. And are they pan. good? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's not bad, yeah. And it's all, it's all worked well, you haven't burnt anything? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you ever burn things on a barbecue? If I'm around, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Sorry? Hello. Hi. Hi. Jasmine. Hi, I'm Alan. Hello. Does he ever burn things on barbecues? No, it's normally I'm doing the barbecuing, so it's okay if i'm around right but if he's left by himself it would health and safety has <laughs> well we hope that gives inspiration to more women barbecuers are you an expert on the on the barbecue sue well my husband is not a barbecue at all i am very happy to do all the sort of pre-prep and then would barbecue if we had a barbecue but <laughs> my son-in-law is superb he is the best barbecuer ever marinade barbecue perfection right Ooh. well well <laughs> you've no need to then i have no need to <laughs> well to fit in with all of this barbecue advice a few episodes ago uh, alan you did a piece with a fishmonger about choice cuts the unusual cuts that people may not know about when it comes to ordering in a similar vein i popped along to malloy's craft butchers on station road and i asked them likewise hi it's mike malloy from malloy's craft butchery in cambridge I've been a butcher for 20 years. Over those years, I've seen a massive change in first, secondary and third cuts. Looking at the way that the industry is changing right now, I think that most people will automatically know their first cuts. So your sirloin, your ribeye, your fillet. 
I think the really interesting thing that's starting to happen is with the emergence of social media and TikToks and all the rest of it, they're finding out about these secondary state cuts. So stuff like Denver's, Flatirons, Deckel cuts, all of these different steaks that you can still fry off and be very, very sort of tender, flavoursome, not too expensive. I think that's where we're seeing the biggest resurgence right now. I mean, that all these forgotten cuts are starting to come back. I think that people are starting to learn to cook again, which means that you've got this fantastic... You know, people coming to me with ideas of what they want to cook and I'm then telling them what they need to fulfil that. So looking at your chuck, your back rib, your shin, all of these fantastic stewing cuts throughout the winter have been a phenomenal seller for us because people want that good, honest, home-cooked food, especially when they've had so much time to cook over the last couple of years. They've come back to the smaller butchers. And that's what's really, really exciting about food moving forwards is that, yes, prices are going up, but you don't have to buy the most expensive cuts every time. So the guanciale we make here on site, we take the pig's cheeks, the jowls, cure them with some curing salt, some bay leaves, some cloves, a little bit of brown sugar. We then dry that out for 30 days. It's a really fantastic secondary product that you then turn into something that can be so versatile because it's going in all your carbonaras and all this sort of stuff. Or you can then stew the cheeks down normally as you would. I and mean, it's a really great meal. When we're looking at the beef, you know, it's Denver is my favourite cut. Um, it's a muscle off the side of the shoulder which 80 to 90% of butchers will just dice or mince cooked right, cut right, matured right it's a fantastic steak and you're talking about £22 a kilo which is half the price of your ribeye so you're then looking at what can I get out of this beef that's going to increase its value but also offer better value for my customers we're making salt beef right? so we're taking a brisket brisket is a pretty good cut during the summer people smoke it during the winter people stew it down and braise it and all the rest of it this time of year it's a secondary cup because nobody really wants it so we're making sure that we then salt it brine it dry it out we've got a fantastic salt beef selection at the minute so it's about making sure that you've got places for these things to go so you're not creating waste you're creating food sustainability there's an outlet for things that people don't necessarily know about at the moment but it becomes super important to them so, Denver's at half the price of ribeye steak. What do you think of that, Sue? Well, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? And, and Denver's an American cut, isn't it? Mm. I'm not sure what its English translation is. No, I've, I've, is. Not, I've not had Denver's. So I'm going to try Denver's. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got flat irons, pig's cheeks. You can pick these up and more at the excellent Malloy's Craft Butchery on Station Road. And just while we're here, there's plenty of other butchers around Cambridge too. The Art of Meat in Arbury, featured on Flavour 7. Several times. Mill Road Butchers, Cousins in Grantchester Street, Cowlings on Ditton Lane, Waller and Sons on Victoria Avenue. I used to live above them when I was studying, or waking up to the sound of the meat cleaver hacking away in the mornings. Mm. There's the Radmore Farm Shop just opposite them. Plenty more besides. We are not short of butchers. And another thing we're not short of is ways to reduce food waste, such as by using the Olio app. Yeah, Olio, spelt O-L-I-O. It's free to install on your smartphone or tablet. Using this app, a person can give surplus food away and anybody can collect it. So, a quick look at Olio today shows that Mustafa near Cherry Hinton Hall has two unopened cartons of French long-life milk to give away. Claire in Arbury has a Warburton's toasty loaf she doesn't need. Kelly, also in Cherry Hinton, has a jar of Bisto chicken gravy, free to anyone who wants it. Nikki in Arbury has a couple of tins of tinned ham, one of those large festive boxes of Jacob's crackers, still sealed and fresh, and a big bag of jelly babies with no artificial colouring. 
Meanwhile, Anna near King's College Chapel has four packets of lard. Great for cooking or making bird feeders with, she says, helpfully. And Olio also deals in non-food-related things. First time we've mentioned this. Just as an example, Marie in Great Shelford is giving away 15 glass ramekins, whilst Jane in Fenditton has a collection of cake and biscuit tins to give away, and Gosha in the town centre has a variety of food containers. So plenty of food and food-related items, all for free on Olio today. And there is another free app which is called Too Good To Go and this one features unsold food from restaurants and shops often at less than half price and rather than specifying each leftover item the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. Okay, time for some news now. And the big weekend at Parker's Peace is on the 1st and 2nd July with the Mila on the 3rd. There'll be a French market with various food stalls, whilst on Parker's Peace this weekend is the Town and Country Fair. On the 3rd of July, there is a food and drink festival in Stowmarket, a nice train ride away from Cambridge, and some of the events taking place at the Food Museum include a campfire cookout, a bread-making class for children. These need to be booked in advance, by the way. And award-winning local chefs will be demonstrating their culinary skills. And there is also the final day of the Food Museum's annual beer and brewing festival. All details can be found on the Stowmarket Town Council website. Some wine news now. Mark Anstead's Cambridge Wine School is starting up a new series of WSET Level 2 wine courses. It runs for three weeks on the 26th of June, the 3rd of July and the 17th of July from 10 till 5pm. And there's a short multiple choice exam on the last day. And the wine school has a 100% pass rate. Impressive. Well, the first Gutter and Stars Open Day of the year will be on 16th of July between 10 and 6pm, where you can buy wine by the bottle or glass, look around the winery and learn more about the new wines and projects, including one with Pastor Brewing in Waterbeach. Cambridge Wine Merchants has 17% off a Van de Provence mixed case in June and 10% off any three or more Van de Provence rosé wines. Amphora in Devonshire Road has a tasting of Pinot Noir on the 22nd of June, ranging from Burgundies and Champagnes to Sancerre Rouge and cool climate examples from South Africa, Australia and the Americans. On the 29th of June, the tasting is of German wines, including Rieslings and Spatburgunders and Ice Vines. All tastings at Amphora include at least six wines and appropriate snacks. Something rather different at the wine rooms in Hills Road this coming Wednesday. It's a beer meets wine tasting called Between the Vines. Pastor Brewers in Waterbeach have made five Blenderdales using grape must collected from Cambridge winemaker Chris Wilson of Gutter and Stars. The grapes used are Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Bacchus and the result blurs the lines between wine and beer. The tasting runs between 7 to 8pm on Wednesday the 22nd of June. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, actually. Weird, but fun. I hope they put some in a bottle so I can go and buy some. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, on the subject of beer, Calverley's Brewery has just brewed a new light and refreshing beer called Taffel Beer, and that uses Sars and Kazbek hops. And at 2.1%, it's ideal for hot weather quaffing, assuming the hot weather comes back. (laughs) 
Now, there's an online talk at our global food system facing unprecedented challenges. This takes place on the 23rd of June from 6 till 7 p.m. And just briefly, it covers the COVID pandemic, the war in Ukraine and the climate crisis and how all three have exposed the vulnerability of the global food system. Professor Syed Azam Ali, OBE, will say that we cannot continue to rely on the commodity crops and complex supply chains that currently distribute food around the world. Business as usual is no longer an option. Professor Azam Ali will propose changes that would lead to new, more diverse, resilient and inclusive agri-food system fit for the future of humanity and our planet. Sounds good, doesn't it? If you'd like to attend, you will need to book via the Eventbrite website. So just go there and search for Forgotten Crops Society Dialogues. The event is supported by the University of Cambridge, Global Food Security, IRC. The Oyster Labs is at the lab in Regent Street on 1st July for an evening of oysters and cocktails. That's from 6 to 10pm. And there's a wine and dine event at the Tickell Arms on Thursday the 7th of July. Three courses plus four different cheeses and then chocolate truffles. The wines are from the Languedoc-Roussillon region and the courses start with chicken and black pudding terrine, which sounds delicious. And they go on to soy-glazed mackerel fillet and roast duck breast. It's £75 per head, and that includes the matching wines. Scott's All Day in Mill Road has 50% off dine-in pizzas on Tuesday and Wednesday nights if you purchase any side or drink. There's 25% off if you get them delivered by foodstuff. Congratulations to Tristan Welch of Parker's Tavern, who's just got asked to cook for Diana Ross. Tristan is also offering a glass of fizz on him when you book either Parker's Tavern Winnie the Pooh afternoon tea or their new three-course set lunch. The offer will be available until the 31st of August. Cambridge Community Kitchen is looking for volunteers who enjoy cooking plant-based food. This is to provide free food for those who need it. Contact them on their website ccKitchen.uk. Volunteers are needed on the 25th and 26th of June to help at Fen Edge Festival and the Abbey Big Lunch. And the sort of things that need doing are assisting with cookery demos, transporting stall equipment and helping to run climate diet stalls. To find out more or to let them know you're interested, email becca at cambridgesustainablefood.org. Plant Futures by Made in Hackney are coming to Cambridge to offer a free plant-based three-hour workshop for all head chefs, procurement managers, community groups and any other leaders in food service provision. You can contact them via the Cambridge Sustainable Food website. Looking ahead to August, the next Hidden by Pudini Italian Supper Club in Willingham is on the 12th of August and it will cost £45 per head. Book now on the Pudini website. And looking even further ahead, from the 22nd to the 27th of October, Helen Underwood of White Cottage Bakery has a Tuscan baking retreat, and that's in the ancient castle kitchen at Potentino. You'll be using seasonal ingredients from the surrounding hillsides and baking breads, savoury biscotti, fresh pasta and a variety of sweet pasticuria favourites. The cost is from €1,600 per person. Okay. Well, we're off for a quick break to polish our donuts, and we will be back in two minutes. Cambridge 105 Radio. 
Monday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio. Strummers and Dreamers with Les Ray. As there are so many different kinds of folk songs out there, traditional ballads, shanties, work songs, songs by singer-songwriters of all kinds, my particular thing. You'll get live sessions and interviews by local performers and those from further afield, the big names on the scene and newly emerging independent artists. Lots of new music, some classics and something special just for you. Strummers and Dreamers online whenever you want it and Monday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Are you suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio welcome back to flavor food and drink in and around cambridge now those who've lived in the city for a while may remember cb1 on mill road it was the world's first internet cafe it opened back in 1995 i used to go there a fair bit well, a couple of decades later, it became Tom's Cakes, and this year, 32 Mill Road has changed hands once more and is called simply Mill. It's run by the Philippou family, they're from Greece, and they hunted for three years before settling on this location to set up shop. This yeah. is Margarita. Yes, I'm Margarita. Me and my husband, Philippos, we're running a coffee shop on Mill Road. Oh, coffee and deli. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say it again. <laughs> a lovely coffee and deli shop on Mill Road. We are a family of five. Whenever you come in during the weekends, you can find me, my husband, and my three children, which are teenagers. This street is so international, and the customers are from all over the world, so they come here on this street because they know they can find what they're looking for, and that's very nice. And I think it's the most international street in Cambridge, I think. People say so, so must be right. <laughs> You've got some amazing looking cakes. Oh, thank you. They're so large. <laughs> yes. And a little bit jaw-dropping to look at. <laughs> of course, we've got traditional English cakes, like lemon and lime, or Victoria sponge, vegan options as well, some gluten-free. We also have some Greek desserts, like mousse, sponge underneath and mousse on top, all kinds of flavors, Ferrero Rocher, a chocolate mousse, or maybe a biscuit mousse, which are very popular. Cheesecakes as well, and for people that don't like very sweet things. We also have amazing crepes that you can make your own choices of what you put inside. I know that crepes here are not thought of as savoury dishes, mm. 
but we do great options. You can put spinach, feta cheese, a yellow cheese in them, ham and cheese, and some sauces. And they're quite big, <laughs> fortunately, yeah. I get the impression that crepes for this cafe is a very important thing for you. Yeah, because my husband has always made crepes since he was like 18. Oh. So he knows what he's doing and it's his field of expertise. Combining crepes with coffee and all sorts of desserts, it's a lovely combination. You can have something savoury and then you can have dessert as well. Yes, yeah. So we have a little bit for everybody. Most of our customers that taste our crepes come back for this particular thing. Do you think that's what more people will come in for over time? Because just for myself, right, I would regard it on the outside as a cafe. So yeah. I think coffee, cakes. But yes. once you know that the crepes are here, do you find that more people are coming back for the crepes? Yes, of course they are, yes. And for the pastry as well, because we've got such a big, vast variety of pastry mm. that are Greek. Yeah. And most of the people here don't know it, apart from the Greek people, what kind of pastry we've got. Yeah. And we already have, in these three months that we are operating, they come back because they love our pastry. <laughs> from spinach and feta cheese to leek and so many vegan options. Chicken pie, which is very popular. Chicken pie? Yeah. This chicken pie has peppers and special traditional phyllo, mm. very tasty. We've got so many customers coming for that and for the spinach and feta one that we joke about it uh, with my husband that we could open a shop and just sell these two and nothing more. <laughs> it's so popular, yes. Thank God you got the space out here to accommodate all the <laughs> oh, people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, a, whenever the weather is nice, we've got a whole other shop yeah. at the backyard. Yes, it's really nice. <laughs> I spent yesterday cycling around Cambridge just looking at all the various uh, restaurants, cafes, food shops, seeing all the ones that had kind of closed down oh, during yeah, COVID. Oh, yeah, so sad. And just the ones that had closed down for other reasons as yeah. well. But then coming into your shop and remembering it as CB1 Cafe, where all the various decorations were, how it was painted and yeah, so on, yeah. I'd never... Maybe I just never knew, maybe I never ventured far enough, but I never saw this outside, which is so, it's so nice in the, yes. in the sunshine. It's so nice today. I never knew this was here. Yeah. It's really worth mentioning. Yeah, we, yes, of course, and we advertise it, and we always tell our customers that they can visit our garden and sit down and relax, decompress a bit, mm. and drink their coffee in their own time. And... I think it gives me the impression that everybody becomes one big group having fun. Most of our customers know that we have the backyard and they come mm. for that reason. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice. How about a cup of coffee? You read my mind, sweetheart. Our magnificent coffee. In Greece, we've got so many sorts of coffees, uh, such a variety. So we thought of introducing those coffees here in the UK because we don't only have the traditional Greek coffee, which is very popular. It's something similar and almost identical to Turkish coffee. Mm -hmm. We also have a great variety of cold coffees because in Greece it's always hot during summer. Mm -hmm. So people prefer cold coffees. Yeah. 
We make Freddo Espresso and Freddo Cappuccino, which are two choices of a great cold coffee. And whoever has tasted it, who hasn't been to Greece or didn't have any idea of these coffees existing, mm. they love it. And they come back and ask for the particular one again and again. It's a very nice coffee based on espresso. And Fredo Espresso is just espresso cold. Mm. Fredo Cappuccino is Fredo Espresso with the addition of milk. Fredo is cold in Italian. Yes, but we call it that in Greece. Yeah. Wherever you go, if you ask for a Fred Espresso or Fred Cappuccino, you can find it everywhere. Mm. Everywhere. Are you happy? Oh, very. Very. And my husband is even more. Because it's his dream, it's his project. He knows all about this business and the way that things have to be done. Mm. This shop, I think, has a great future. As people start to know, uh, getting to know us, I think it's going to be even more popular. Well, lovely. Thanks for chatting to us, Margarita. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was lovely meeting you. And you're listening to Flavour on Cambridge yes. 105 Radio. <laughs> uh, chicken pie with peppers and spinach and feta pie. They're two bestsellers, and I'd imagine that since recording with them, their crepes are gaining popularity, and the coffees and cakes of Greece are settling into the Mill Road scene. Mill is open from 8am to 8pm, seven days a week. And that music signals time for the latest social media from the city. Yeah, uh, first up, relevant if you're listening today, Saturday, the Mill Road Summer Shindig, which was scheduled today, has been cancelled because of the possibility of heavy or sustained rain. Stake and Honour have posted their whereabouts, uh, the whereabouts of their vans over the next few days. The 22nd of June, the Ancient Shepherds in Fenditton from 5 to 8. The 23rd, Wagon and Horses in Milton from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Also on the 23rd, Cambridge Wine Merchants in Cherry Hinton Road from 5.30 till 8.15. Steak and Honour also at the Tivoli in Chesterton Road, Monday to Thursday, 5 till 9, Friday to Sunday, 12 till 9. And of course, the shop is open from Wednesday to Saturday and no bookings are needed. Uh, Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, has space on tomorrow, Sunday, the 19th of June, wild food tour. It's normally £50, but he's got a few spare spaces, so he's saying pay what you feel it's worth. Meet at Tall Trees Bar on Nensfield Road for a preliminary wild food drink, and then a two and a half hour walk through meadows and woods looking for wild food. And you finish with a wild spiced soup with pickled allium seeds, and he's suggesting it's great for a late Father's Day present. And you can book by emailing steve at theforagingchef.co.uk or DM him on Instagram. And finally, fansets have just Instagrammed. They have last-minute tables free tonight, so that's well worth going. So oh. you've enjoyed as well. Oh, I have indeed. It? I like fansets a lot. It's a really good place. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that uh, that I like about going to the Sunday market in Cambridge and farmers markets elsewhere is the fact that uh, often it's the producers that are selling you the products. I mean, that's always the case at uh, farmers markets. 
the fruit and veg that you're buying just haven't been loaded into a truck at somewhere like the new Spitalfields Market or the meat hasn't come from Smithfield Market. Instead, on the Cambridge Sunday Market, Simon brings his veg in from his farm in the Fens. Claire from Brownsfield Farm in Over brings in her fruit and, at the moment, asparagus. And the chicken and eggs are brought to us by Brian and Angela Cairns of Hawthorne Farm near Cottenham. Well, that's how it was. But Brian and Angela, whose chicken is of the most wonderful quality, are retiring at the end of this month, and many people, including me, will miss them badly. So here, by way of thanks and appreciation, is a snippet from an interview we did on their small holding a few years ago, and it it really reveals the care and attention they give to it and why the quality is so high and probably can't be replaced. And at that time, they kept pigs as well, hence there's a bit of grunting going on in the background. Your chickens actually do go outdoors then? Yes, they do. Because you do hear about free-range chickens that uh, don't take the opportunity to go outside. With a lot of the ones that don't go outside, the reason they don't go outside is because they don't manage to reach the pop hole because the houses are so huge and the pop hole's so small. Um, But generally speaking, they wouldn't choose to go outside in in sunny weather. They're jungle fowl and they like rummaging about under trees and certainly if you see pictures of chickens on, on a on adverts in the middle of a big grass field they they that's unlikely is it (laughs) normally they wouldn't be doing that no how old are these these are about 14 weeks right so they're they're ready to go are they they're ready to go um we would pick as we go along over the next month we would pick each week the largest ones and um use them 20 25 a, a week and then your chickens are sort of what 14 16 18 weeks that sort of age are they up to 18 weeks up to 18 really, yeah. whereas in supermarkets what sort of age are they there in the supermarkets you you would be talking some of them they talk about 56 days um so eight weeks eight weeks there there are one or two supermarkets that suggest they don't use any birds under nine weeks old but yours are well over nine That's weeks right, old. yeah and would that account for the the flavor i mean your your chickens do have a i think a really good flavor is, is that think, partly to do with age do you i think? think there's a lot to do with age there's a lot to do with freshness there's Certainly, the, the fact that they're all dry plucked um, adds to that as well. They've not had water pour, pouring all over the skin. Um, I think that gives them flavour. That the breed is also another kind of aspect to that. And also, what they're fed. And what they're fed. They're fed quality food. They're fed ad lib food, as you can see. They they eat when they want to eat and, and drink when they want to drink. Yeah. But it must add to the cost. I mean, things like dry plucking are a, a slow, yes, I mean, labour-intensive you know, process. Yes, and having just mentioned the supermarkets um, and the processing that goes on with chicken, you couldn't expect to feed every demographic within the nation in the way that we're doing this here. Um, there are people that do need to be able to buy food at a cost-effective price, and yeah. we fully accept that. Um, but if you want to buy a dry pluck chicken that's taken 20 minutes to pluck, 10 minutes to prepare after that, so it's another half an hour, even on the minimum wage, it's got to add £3 or more to the price of a chicken. Brian and Angela Cairns from Hawthorne Farm near Cottenham. Happy and well-deserved retirement, and thank you for so much superb quality food.
Finally, for today, we go back to Mike Malloy of Malloy's Craft Butchery on Station Road. Yeah, whilst I was over at Malloy's, I asked his opinion about the hospitality crisis, the lack of staff in the industry, the lack of staff in cafes and restaurants, what it's like in the butchery sector, though, and how the situation is affecting him. It's planned that we were going to make sure that we looked after young people, right? Butchery is in decline, there's lots of old people retiring, there's no one new coming in. So I wanted to take on as many apprentices as possible. We hired 11 apprentices last year. One of them has decided that it's the job for them. Others have gone off to do other college courses and that sort of thing, which is fine. But I think it's super important that right now we take all of the chefs that are coming out of the industry who are fed up of working 100 hours a week for 40 hours money and just had an application for the head chef of a very famous race course, you know, who's head of fine dining at this place and now wants to become a butcher and has chosen us because we're a Wagyu specialist, because we're farm to plate, because we do the job right. So he's moving hundreds of miles to come and work with us. I think that's the most important thing right now is, is before butchers were able to be choosy and now it's time to start offering your staff a reason to be proud to come to work. When I started in the trade, I was 12 years old. At 16, I left school and became a butcher. I was on £120 a week as an apprentice. I wasn't treated particularly well, you know, until I opened my own shop. The industry was in the decline. And I think that now it's it's time that hospitality's learned the lesson that you pay people well, you treat them right, you treat them with the respect, you give them perks. Butchery's now having to follow that because people are saying, well, I don't need to do this for no money. You know, we work incredibly hard, we're incredibly talented. Butchers seem to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because in society we're not viewed with the level of skill that we have. And I think now it's really important that we look after our staff, give them, you know, incentives to be here. And I say pride in our work is what we we aim to do, which is why we've become a centre of excellence. I asked Mike about the state of butchers in Cambridge, particularly over the last several years, because it felt like many closed up shop as people increasingly sort their meat from supermarkets. Turns out I wasn't right about this at all. You've got Wallers, you've got the guys in Fendison, you know, there's still six or seven butchers in, in Cambridge. Yeah. And there always have been. They've just not been marketing themselves properly. Oh, They've okay. not been as popular as they should have been. You know, people haven't been focusing on that buy local, buy fresh. And I think COVID has really helped that. And there was a massive push to buy local because the only place you could get good food was us at one point. You know, supermarkets were letting people down and we were going above and beyond. You know, I trebled my levels of staff. I hired three drivers. I put everyone out on the road. I set up free delivery services to make sure people had food during COVID. And, you know, we've, we've kept a lot of those customers, which is great. But I would really like to remind people that a lot of small businesses really had a good push through COVID, especially butchers and food outlets. Chefs had a couple of years off, us butchers didn't. We worked seven days a week, 10, 12 hour days to make sure that everyone was looked after. And yeah, visit your local butchers. I think the, the most fascinating thing about Cambridge is there is something for everyone when it comes to butchery, right? There is your low end, cheaper, more value budget range. Mm-hmm. And then you've got us Mill Road and the Gogs who are pushing the limits on what the best food in the world could be. Right, so it's if you do your research, find the butcher that you trust, but there really is something for everyone, and we need to start taking that away from supermarkets because they're all shutting their you know food counters down. It's becoming a processed machine that if we're not careful, we're going to see more and more imported food, more and more exported food, and we're going to have a big problem in this country in the future. So I started working for Andrew Northrop when I was 12 on Mill Road. Yeah, my dad and him were friends, and my dad sent me to work in a butcher's as a satellite lad. Uh, hoping that that would inspire me to work hard at school. 
alas, left college at 16 and all I ever wanted to do was butchery. It's one of those jobs, I speak to a lot of butchers who are trying to come back into the trade because once you have the love for it and the passion and the skill, it doesn't matter what you go and do, you're always drawn back to butchery. Um, you know, I've had some fantastic things happen in my career and every single time I come back to this, so it's amazing. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> We're doing okay. Again, I had an investor approach me three years ago and say, would you like to set up the best butchery in the world? And I said, I'll try. And we're doing okay. You know, I think we're doing something different here than 99% of the butchers in the country. And I'm super proud of how far we've come. We've still got an awful long way to go. We were just discussing as you came in that, you know, there's options for bringing in-house kitchens. So we're going to start cooking around scotch eggs, pork pies, doing all of that on the site from scratch, warm every day. And that's what we're missing right now. We've got the provenance of the meat. I'm never going to be the cheapest butcher because I want to pay my staff well and I want to pay my farmers a fair price, right? If you're looking for cheap meat, we're not the place to go. But if you want a really, really good product with some nice customer service, you know, it's good fun in a beautiful shop, we're the place for you. That's a nice thought about the in-house kitchens, isn't it? I'd be down there looking for proper pasties, for example. For anybody who's only used to, say, Ginster's pasties, can you imagine how gorgeous, how, how full and succulent a real proper pasty is? It's a great example of an unusual beef cut as well. Pasties use beef skirt, which is a really, really cheap cut. And when cooked inside a pastry case with swede and potato, the juices of all three kind of coalesce to make their own gravy, and the smell is beautiful. They should do proper pasties in pubs. Why don't they? Maybe they will. Now, Mike supplies the beef to the chefs at the Cambridge Blue, who make the gorilla and lamb burgers from our last episode. Maybe something similar will happen there. Anyway, that was the voice of Mike Malloy of Malloy's Craft Butchery on Station Road, who, amongst other things, do a variety of barbecue essentials, tying into the main theme of today's programme, including beef and peppercorn burgers, ginger lemon and chilli chicken kebabs, Jamaican chirp chicken, minted lamb kofta, a variety of flavoured butters to go with that barbecue steak, and plenty more. <laughs> And there's Green Onions, uh, signalling the start of our job section. Bald Brothers in Roundchurch Street and Regent Street have vacancies for a front of house, an experienced barista and a shop manager. Details in an application form are on their social media. Burwash Larder are looking for some part-time deli assistants. It's two days a week and some weekends, and customer service experience would be ideal. You can email your CV to info at burwashlarder.com or you can just drop a copy of your CV into them personally. And now a quick roundup of local jobs. You could pop in for details at a quiet time. There's a vacancy for a sous chef at the Trinity in Trinity Street, where there's a four-day week with a maximum of 45 hours per week. Junior sous chefs are needed at Parker's Tavern in Regent Street, both full-time and casual, as well as at Cote in Bridge Street and Pint Shop in Wheeler Street. A breakfast chef is needed at Cota in Eddington, a pastry chef at the Cambridge Oven in Hills Road, a senior pizza chef at Aromi, a brunch chef at Hot Numbers, and a burger chef for Steak and Honour based at the Tivoli in Chesterton Road. And chefs de partie are needed at Newnham College, the Trinity and Cota. And finally for today, chefs at all levels are needed at Parker's Tavern and at the Gonville Hotel in Gonville Place. 
Right, so plenty of jobs. <laughs> Indeed, aren't there just? Golly. <laughs> you can name your price if you're a chef, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right, we've got a few we've got a few minutes left. Shall we have a quick look through what's in? Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. We've got in front of us, as we often have, today's feast from the Guardian. And so let's just have a, a quick look and see. <laughs> so Sue is sitting next to me. Ooh. What do we fancy from here? Oh, Yotta Maltalenghi, I love him. I've got a number <laughs> of his books. Unusual Spices, something really fun. Yeah. Californian Caprese Salad. That sounds rather interesting. It looks beautiful, doesn't it? Yes. Well, he really does go for colour, actually, doesn't he? Doesn't he, I think that's yes. one of... Yeah, yeah. It's not just about taste, it's also about appearance. And actually, I don't know if it what is one of his, but something I made last year and I've been looking forward to making again this year was a salad with uh, with black cherries oh. and... and uh, cottage cheese and this is the combination of the colours which actually reminds me we've talked about Finn boys before and I don't know if you've had this Sue but one of the things that they have started selling on their deli counter is black butter black butter I have had black butter actually but I'm not sure if it's, um... if it's as, well this black butter is a hazelnut butter which they make and then added to it is soy black garlic squid ink Ooh. and sherry and it Ooh. is unbelievable i mean it is unbelievably black it is relentlessly <laughs> black you know oh, it's as black amazing. as black can be and if you put it on fish obviously it melts into the, mm. the fish because mm. it's a you know it is butter but the flavor is what i mean fl- butter does go very well with fish anyway but it's uh, the flavor is fantastic but the appearance, you know, I had it on some hake, and hake is quite a white fish, and the black butter on the on the white fish is just stunning, visually stunning, and it just tasted marvellous. Oh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. It was. <laughs> ooh, ooh, yummy, yum. But they used to have it as part of their dishes, and so many people ask them about it that you can now buy it on their... Well, I think I, I think I Good. might go and, and it's well for some worth of that. buying. Anyway, <laughs> wow. Back to flavour. Anything else? Oh, what else we got? Thomasina Myers, new flexitarian. You know, I like flexitarianism as as a terminology because it means you know you don't have to be vegan, vegetarian, or a, a out and out carnivore, but just be a bit flexible. And and yeah. to me, it's all about quality as much as anything else and yes as you say with the with the lovely chickens i I, i'm going to go down and perhaps get a get a chicken perhaps this for this sunday if i'm going to i would get there quite early they usually sell out of this is we're talking about hawthorne farm yes indeed they sell out of chicken pieces usually by about nine o'clock oh blimey and the chickens that well it varies but maybe by 10 o'clock Right. And um, they sell out of eggs usually by about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Right. So you have to, you have to get, get on your bike early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, let's have a look. Uh, there's something else that struck me in here, um, and I can't find it. All this Felicity Cloak answering your questions. Oh, I love Felicity. She's such she's, a good writer. She's, and, she's, and so good on her research and, and really knows her food. And actually, one of the questions she's answering is, who is your favourite cookery writer? Now, of course, ah. there are literally hundreds of cookery writers, and yes. some of them are absolutely fantastic. Her favourite is actually Jane Grigson. Yes, I'm not surprised. Who wrote in the 50s and yeah, 60s. Jane Grigson is a really mm. good writer. She's done her research. She has the food history. You know, she sort of refers people like Dorothy Hartley, Foods of England. And you know, she's a really intelligent writer. Yeah. And yes, I would, I would certainly agree with and Jane And also, Grigson. 
Jane Gregson went to France quite a lot and discovered yes. things in France. I mean, I remember her talking about going into a, a dusty grocer's shop in France and coming across a sack of apricots, dried apricots, and so she bought them and tried them. And they were unlike any apricots she'd tried before. They were Hansa apricots. Oh, yes. Which yes. you do see mm -hmm. now, but you I do. think in the 50s, you, yeah, they were just really unknown. unusual. Really yeah, unusual. So she was a great discoverer. Of Does she mention well. any other? She talks she about Elizabeth David. It's, it's oh, of course. There. Yeah, yeah I, it's interesting because I was thinking Elizabeth David at the same time because I've been mm. reading some of her essays recently and I was doing a bit of research my own food writing. Right. And she is a good writer. Yes, she yeah. is. I agree. I agree. Again, you know, she helped people rediscover things. Yeah. Right, I, I think we've rambled on rather well. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, over to you. <laughs> OK, well, that's all the time we have for today. But uh, don't forget, there's plenty more from Flavour. And we'll be here on Alternate Saturdays at 1, repeated on Sundays at 2. And, and Thursdays. And at... Thursdays, repeated on Mondays at 6pm, isn't it? And Thursdays at 2pm. I got right. that completely yep. wrong. Yep. Oh, dear. Anyway, coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio this evening is Strummers and Dreamers with your host, Les Ray. But that is all from us. Flavour will be back on the 2nd of July, so until then, goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.